Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to more coverage of the Amazing Race Australia. I am very excited here for our second go around. It hasn't been that many weeks, but many, many episodes have passed. I am, of course, Dan Heaton. Unfortunately, Jessica Lee is unable to join us. She is busy right now learning more Australian phrases, but I have someone here to help go over episodes seven through 17 of the amazing race Australia. She is a member of the class of 2020 for Rob as a podcast. She has been doing recaps of Bridgerton for post show recaps. She also was a guest on the tar pit for season 32 of the amazing race week six. And of course was here for our first check-in about the amazing race, Australia, Sarah Carradine, Sarah, welcome back. Thank you, Dan. First, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm podcasting from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation. They're the custodians of this land, which was never ceded. I pay my respects to the elders, past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And now we must talk about the Amazing Race Australia. (laughs) Seven. Let's transition strangely. Oh, there's no transition there. Um, (laughs) Although, of course, we we do note, as we noted last time, and for those of you who are just listening to us and aren't watching the show, uh, we hope we can cover it for you. There is always an acknowledgement of the land uh, of the uh, that that episode, the land that it will be filmed on, and I like that. Yeah, me too. And I know we got into a little more in the previous podcast, but I still think it's worth noting because, you know, with this season of Amazing Race Australia all taking place in Australia, and now in this stretch of episodes, we move to multiple different parts with the Northern Territory and not just in Queensland. So it's been really good to see us go beyond that. So I'm curious, just to kind of set the stage here, when we spoke the last time, We, of course, had 14 teams that had been narrowed down a bit. We were down to 10 teams when we started. We have had five eliminations during these 11 episodes, which, again, it's kind of like, okay, that's not that much. But then we had two additional teams join. But before I even get to all of that, Sarah, I'm curious from you, 
now that we've seen a lot more of the show, you know, a good portion of it with we're down to our final six. What are you thinking about this season? Are you enjoying it? Or um, what's been your thought on more of the season that we've seen? Well, it's interesting. When we last spoke, we'd had the first six episodes and we'd had a number, a goodly number of eliminations and the show was progressing. Uh, All of that was in Queensland, but they managed to film in various different locales and give us quite a range of activities from the rather daggy, as we would say, to uh, almost survivor-like. And I was finding it um, exciting, is that the word? Enthralling, put it that way. The last 11 have been curious. I've gone through enraged. I've gone through... uh, I won't say bored, but um, I found some things tedious. And then bursts of excitement. Um, I particularly liked following a couple of the teams in particular, and we can get into that as we as we go. But it's been a much more of a roller coaster of emotions watching the last eleven than the sort of steady the steady uh, pleasure of the first six. How about you, Dan? How have you found it? It's pretty similar. You know, it's one of those things where I think we get so many episodes in a short amount of time that like, yeah, like you said, there'll be an episode where I'm just laughing and I'm enjoying it. It, It's fun. And then there's episodes that you're kind of like, oh, this is not as good. And I mean, part of it, too, is probably as we've narrowed down the number of teams, we have lost some beloved teams, including our favorite team. You know, Sifa and Jess, who went out in the first episode of the stretch after we raved about them last time. But I do think that makes a difference where I feel I do still like some of these teams quite a lot. But also, too, just with this volume of episodes, I think it gets a little more challenging to always be different because some of the legs have had really interesting, cool, different types of episodes. But others, I mean, when you get to a point where you're on your like fifth eating challenge, you can, people are puking and such, and you're like, um, does it lose a little of the impact after a while? And I'm just using that as an example where I'm still enjoying it overall. I think part of it, too, is still kind of being spending a lot of time at home, getting the high volume of episodes and all this kind of crazy stuff. And it's kind of weird. It kind of fits for me with early 2021, but just <laughs> judging beyond just the fun, I've been watching with my daughters and they love how weird this season is in general, just because they're used to kind of U.S. Amazing Race, which is a little more, you have a detour and a roadblock and a little a task, and then the teams are, you kind of can read it. This see, this show is so different, but um, so I'm enjoying it, but obviously there are things, and I want to say it up front too, because I do think we're going to get into some things that we don't like as much. But so I want to say overall, we're going to be critical at times of this, but overall, I'm still enjoying the experience of watching it, especially because there's just so much of it. It's just there's so much. It's an hour and 10 minutes some days and 50 minutes. There's so much, Sarah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it is great to set that in the beginning. Listeners, we are loving it and really enjoying it. And we've been really looking forward to talking about it. But having said that, both we and some questions that have come in do, do have have some criticism of the race, and I and I do hope we're going to get into that. Um, losing Stefan Jess 
in the first of this group of episodes was a huge blow. Um, they were Jessica in particular was such a great narrator of the of the race. We sort of saw it through their eyes. We followed them very closely. So that was a bit of a shock. Um, Sefer is a great uh, follow on Twitter. Uh, he's sort of live tweeting the episode. So that's been enjoyable, but kind of wish they'd still been in the race. Having said that, there are a couple of the other teams that I'm really happy to be following. Yeah, me too. And um, you know what I find really interesting? I think this is a good way to kind of lead into the stowaways, which is the addition of, like I mentioned a minute ago, we have lost some teams, but we've added two. We added MJ and Chelsea in episode seven and then Stan and Wayne in episode 10. And I mentioned that because personally, I am such a fan of MJ and Chelsea. They're like basically my favorite team now. Yes. And and so I feel a little conflicted because I want to criticize the stowaways, but then I'm like, but they're so great. And I also find Stan and Wayne very endearing too. So it's very weird to like these teams that got added late. I was very ready to resent, uh, dislike, and long for the elimination of the stowaways. And I have to say, MJ and Chelsea are so good. I think that I, I, there's been a disservice. They should have been there from the beginning. They're one of the best teams on I'm going to go right out on a limb. They're one of the best and most interesting teams on any amazing race I've ever seen. It's a female-female team um, that is strong, uh, funny. Their relationship is is endearing and uh, they've got the brains and the fitness. Uh, unlike Holly saying that Delore was the fittest person in the race, he's not even the fittest <laughs> man in the race, uh, but it's certainly the fittest in the race would be MJ and Chelsea. They are professional football players. Um, but if you haven't seen them in action, that's not the least of what they are, but they're, they're more than just that. And so them being added as a stowaway and the general resentment of the stowaways by the other races and the negative reaction from the fans, I think does them a disservice. Um, Stan and Wayne, the bodybuilders, are very strangely endearing. They came on to break the stereotype of bodybuilders. I feel they did the opposite, but not in a bad way. <laughs> not in a bad way. Their relationship is sweet. They they have a lot of self-awareness and their six-episode stretch, uh, you could tell they weren't long for the race and so I didn't feel so resentful of them coming in late because I thought, well, they're popping in, being very entertaining, very sweet, Um doing small favours along the way for other teams and then going out with extreme good humour. Um, so I think they're fine. I, I, I do think it's MJ and Chelsea that might be uh, done a disservice by coming in late. Yeah, totally. And I know we had one of our Facebook patrons, Tara, who said basically the same thing, where she was said uh, she thinks they're serious contenders to win. It's almost not fair. People kind of treat them like she mentioned the Chris Underwood brush and having them come in. To me, though, I mean, in a second, I do want to talk about the stowaways idea in general. But to me, I look at it. Let's assume, I mean, MJ and Chelsea, let's say that they win. They have been on the show for, to me, this is not the same. This is more like they were on Redemption Island and came back at the merge and then won is kind of the comparison a little more because they've been on. They will have been on at least two thirds of the show, depending on exactly how many episodes we end up with. And they've won a lot of legs. So I don't think I think they would be well deserving. But, um, you know, others might have a different opinion. Yeah, I mean, they've always almost been on two thirds 
as it is now, and we we seem to be nowhere near the finale. They've had uh, five firsts out of oh, I'm sorry, six firsts out of the eleven episodes that we're talking about, uh, and their lowest placement was seventh. Otherwise, they're sort of seconds and thirds. So uh, even though they came in in leg seven, I think really even the harshest critic would be hard-pressed to say that they wouldn't still be this strong even if they'd started right at the beginning. Oh, I agree. I don't think it had to do with their, like, freshness or anything on the show because, you know, one thing I felt like by that point most of the teams didn't seem like they were as fatigued. And I know, um, I don't know, I think it would, part of me is like, oh, it would just kind of, people would then use this as kind of just to complain about that side of it. But another part of me is like, yeah, but I really wouldn't mind them winning at all. So what do you think about this idea in general, though, the stowaways? Because to me, I have mixed feelings. If I didn't like the teams, I would dislike it much more. Yes. I mean, I think that the the selection of these, both these teams, um, MJ and Chelsea and Stan and Wayne, the bodybuilders, mitigates, you know, your resentment of the stowaways because they have been really good value in the race, both, you know, their personalities and their strengths and uh, and so on. Uh, I think stowaways, I was reading an, an interview with one of the executive producers who said rather mysteriously, oh, well, you know, if we did it again, would we change things? Absolutely. They're a little restricted by, well, first of all, they're restricted by COVID um, and having a restriction on the number of people they can have. There's also the number of episodes that were ordered by the broadcaster is really big. I mean, is it 20? Is it 24? We can't seem to get a definitive answer, but it's at least 20 and may well be 24. Uh, And she was talking about the difficulty of telling uh, so many team stories right from the start. And I do I do think that's true, but I also think that contemporary audiences are really smart. And I think uh, with the way uh, shows are edited, we could have thought, oh, yes, well, we're focusing on these four teams and then I'll learn about the other teams as we go along. Um, so I think they slightly underestimated an audience's ability to deal with so many teams. I mean, we would have been on here saying, oh, I don't know who half the teams are. But uh, <laughs> but after the first few episodes, and certainly obviously you're going to focus on the people that are going to be eliminated and you get their story and then that's out of the way. I, I think we could have coped. I think the stowaways, as a general rule, I am not fond. What about you, Dan? What do you think about it as a general twist? Yeah, to me, I feel like it's kind of a little mean. I wouldn't say mean, but it's it's kind of like you're playing tricks on the teams. And I actually, at least according to the edit, the teams were probably complaining more. I mean, we saw them complain a little when Stan and Wayne came in, like get back on the train. But um, the team seemed to handle it at least on screen better. Who knows if that's the case? But I, you know, it's one of those where I feel like I'm giving it more of a pass because I like the teams. But like you said, I wouldn't like the teams any less if they were on. It's not like I would say, wow, I am so sick of Stan and Wayne getting lost and driving RVs up mountains and stuff if they weren't on in the beginning, actually. And they probably wouldn't have made it that long if that was the case. The only other thing I could think of, too, is that, you know, it seems weird because there are so many teams, but. Amazing Race US, you know, has really stuck by the 11 teams. They had 12 a couple times really early on or 10 at times. But and I think it's it has to do with money. 
So I wonder if the budget they had only allowed them to have 14 at most at a time. So then they essentially said, okay, we have the budget to have a camera and audio person for each team, but we really have 16 teams we want. Why don't we come up with this cool twist? And again, this is probably fan fiction, but I'm just trying to think of maybe also if they couldn't start with 16, because just logistically with the crew they had, they just, it wasn't possible. Yes, I think that might be a little more than fan fiction, Dan. That actually rings quite true uh, because with each team, it's two more people plus their sound plus their uh, camera person. Uh, so you're adding sort of exponentially with each team. I wonder if there was a different way to do it. Look, it's worth trying. Every twist has to be tried for the first time, um, you know, there was a time when presumably, I don't know if speed bumps have always been there, but there was a time when that was new, U-turns, intersections, T-junctions, which we'll get to. I think we should allow the producers to try new things and um, then tell them if we like them or not. Um, so, yes, I mean, we could workshop how else you could do it, whether you have two groups whether you have uh, two groups of eight teams and then there's some kind of merge, but logistically with COVID and border closures and various things, I just think that would have been a nightmare of, of, of production. And they were perhaps anticipating resistance and that's why the teams that were chosen to be the stowaways were those particular teams. Because imagine if a Holly and Delore had come in as a stowaway, we would have, <laughs> we would have rioted. <laughs> Yeah, I I think too. I agree, and I do wonder too. I mean, I'm not picking on any particular team. I'm not going to name who I would swap out or whatever. But it is interesting that they took two teams that are I wouldn't even. I mean, that are celebrities in some sense. I mean, the stand away to professional bodybuilders, but at least have been out in the public a bit more and are going to be more comfortable on camera. So I think it does make sense to have you know. And it sounded like at least from you know Catherine knowing. MJ and Chelsea that MJ and Chelsea are pretty well known. So it's one of those things where it does make sense to have, I don't even want to, it feels mean to, I wouldn't say celebrity, but teams that are a little more well known in that case. Well, I guess we should move on to some of the other items. The big one too, which I referenced at the beginning is, so we had, you know, 11 legs and only six were elimination legs and five non-eliminations. And I feel like the sweet spot for me, and I know part of this is the amount of episodes they have, but setting that aside, I feel like the sweet spot is like one of every three. When you start to get two in a row, two in a row on The Amazing Race to me, that's rough. So I don't know. what is Because I think that's the feedback that I've heard the most in terms of negatives seems to be about the non-elimination legs. And they have those in Australian Survivor, which I also find kind of strange, but it's just part of the production. But I don't know. What could they, I mean, because I like the salvage and sabotage overall, but then the other legs just threw me for a loop completely. I don't know. I, I think it's, uh, yes, the non-eliminations, uh, are there a cries on Twitter of, you know, is anyone ever going to be eliminated <laughs> from, this, from this race? Uh, it can feel like that. I think you obviously don't want it to be so regular that teams think, oh, well, I'll be fine because I, I know this one's going to be a non-elimination. I think what's been curious for us watching it is sometimes it's the 
uh, first class pass is given to the winner of the leg, uh, you immediately lose all tension as a viewer as to the fate of those behind because you now know it's a non-elimination. But then there are also the non-eliminations which pass without comment. There's no speed bump. There doesn't seem to be any uh, penalty of any kind. They'll just leave in the order that they arrived. So I think that's been curious. I feel like, all right, you don't want to do a salvage and sabotage on every non-elimination leg, but why not have a speed bump on a non-elimination leg that doesn't have a salvage and sabotage? Are we getting too complicated if we ask for that? Yeah, and actually in Canada they do, they do they do a lot of keep keep on racings, but they do speed bumps sometimes. They mix it up. Yeah, so I mean the one leg nine was the keep racing with Holly and Delora, and that was at the GAN, so that everyone got right on the train, and so that made a little more sense. The one that really baffled me was the stretch where Stan and Wayne were last three legs in a row. Mm-hmm. And it just, that's the one that really stood out. And granted, I like those guys. It's not that I wanted to be eliminated, and that was that leg thirteen where they had already been last and they had been, um, I think they had been salvaged. That's right. Because Chris and Alicia were sabotaged. I don't know if salvaged is the right way to put it, but essentially then they finished last again and they again continued and were finally put out of their misery the next week. But that was just a stretch of episodes that I don't know. I think right. You could do a keep on racing. That leg needed something else, I think. Yes, and I think that's why in the beginning when I said there was a bit where there was some tedium and I think it's just unfortunate for the structure. And, yes, I do believe that it's all predetermined as to which is going to be a a non-elimination, which ones are going to have the salvage and sabotage. It was just very unfortunate that they were last three times in a row so that it became like, oh, again, they're being saved. Again, they're being saved, even though we liked them. Um, I, I certainly could have uh, watched Stan and Wayne getting lost for a lot more episodes than we than we did have, um, because there was a certain a certain charm to that. Um, keep on racing, as you say, that may be the solution. So the legs that are non-elimination, you're going to give a, a first class pass and a salvage and sabotage. Fine. The other ones where a team is not going to be eliminated, make that a, a keep on racing. I think that I think you've solved it quite elegantly. Yeah, though most people don't like the keep on racing. I found I think people like it more than nothing. But I think the main thing with the keep on racing that makes it work is you have it where it's like teams are exhausted and then they're like, oh, but they tried this. They did this a lot on season 32 of the U.S. version where it was like teams look just dead. And they're like, by the way, you have to continue. Whereas here, I feel like the the keep on racing was get inside this train and, oh, we're going to lock you in. And it's going to take 10 seconds to get out. basically. So it didn't work as well. It didn't. It didn't work as well because, as you say, first of all, the keep on racing was get on this mode of transportation and put your feet up. That's not really keep on racing. (laughs) But the other thing is they they made a big to do uh, about, oh, they're going to be locked in their cabins and they won't be able to get out for dinner until they figure out this kind of um, escape room type deal and then gave us absolutely no footage of any of the teams figuring out how to get out. So I'm assuming, seeing as a lot of other things are given perhaps more airtime than needed, uh, I'm assuming that the getting out of the cabin was a lot easier for everybody, even Holly and Delore, um, than perhaps the designer had anticipated. Not that I'm anti-Holly and Delore, we will get to them. 
Yeah, I have such mixed feelings there. Um, but yeah, I remember I looked down for a moment and I looked up and they were out and I asked my daughters, I'm like, did I miss something? Was there not something else that happened? It's like, they're like, no, they just got out. It's like, oh, okay. There have been a few curious examples of, you know, what we as contemporary viewers have, have come to be led by, by edits. And we're quite smart, but we also listen. So there was um, the Lady and the Tramp task, which we'll get to perhaps later, but they had to eat uh, a long string of spaghetti and all be careful because if you break it, you have to do another one. And it was sort of hammered home several times, the danger of breaking one, what would happen if you broke the strand of spaghetti, you know, how, how you'd have to start again, how you'd have to lose time. And then they all just did it with absolutely no problems. And I felt let down. (laughs) <laughs> and again, so and it was the same here with these cabins. Oh, they'll have to work out. The teams will have to work out how to get out of their cabin or they'll be in there all night and then they're all in the dining car, you know, having a glass of beer. So yes, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> Should we put this along with the um where they, they went into the water and you thought they were gonna get eaten basically by Yes. They, they were going to get eaten by the crocodiles. Yes. Is this in that same realm where the show kept saying there's crocodiles right by? And I was getting really nervous and they probably weren't that close. I think it's very unlikely that the crocodiles were actually there. I, I was a bit sorry that Sefa was made to say, oh, there's a crocodile right there because I just don't think there was a crocodile right there. I mean, Australians watching it would have been pretty convinced that there were no crocodiles anywhere near them because they're very dangerous creatures, very dangerous, (laughs) even if you have handlers. So, I mean, I liked the idea of the people swimming being scared. I mean, I swim at Bondi and I know sharks are there and I know they're not interested in me at all, but you can just get that moment and I think that was great for the swimmers um but it was a bit of a trick with the showing the crocodiles in the water Uh, i can tell they were nowhere near those swimmers um but you know it's one of the things i certainly think international viewers love to think about how dangerous everything in australia is so it gave them uh, you know it gave them that little excitement there (laughs) <laughs> yes, there are so many deadly snakes in Australia that um, we're, if you walk down the street, they're just going to bite you. I think that that's how it is, right? That's exactly how it is. <laughs> and we all have a pet kangaroo. <laughs> Speaking, Speaking of pet, of pet kangaroos, kangaroos yes. Let's talk about the salvage and sabotage. And um, we could do this in multiple ways because we did talk last time about what we thought about overall. And I think we were generally positive as kind of a different way to do it. And I had someone who was one of our listeners um, actually asked us, there were multiple questions about this, but Katie McCann, a patron asked us to rank all the salvage and sabotage assignments in terms of fairness and difficulty. So we could do this. We could just rank the, three salvages we had this time and three sabotages, or we could put them all together one through six. How should we do this? Let's, let's put them all together. Okay. So what do you think is numbered the best one of the six? Well, I mean, do we know what the salvage and sabotage is going to be for next time? We don't, we know who has it, but we don't know what it is. Is that right? Yeah. Let's set that one aside. So let's just talk about the six we've seen during these episodes. So are you asking which is the sabotage we would like to have the most? In other words, which is the lightest? No, I'm thinking in terms of like the best designed. Like I almost think the opposite. I think like, 
of the six, which is the one that's just like, that's why I wondered if we should split it, but I have my choice for the, I don't know if I'd say meanest sabotage perhaps, but the one that I found most entertaining, but um, which was the Chris and Alicia having to carry Stan and Wayne's bags. Ding, 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 ding. That is my best in terms of, of those terms of what is the best. It was so simple. And I think, you know, production really had luck with the two teams that got this particular uh, that, that that gave and, and got the sabotage here. Here you have Chris, Chris and Alicia. Alicia, who is really Delors' only competition in terms of the most whiningest and complainingest racer, carrying the backpacks of the bodybuilders who, you know, even though those muscles are pretty and not really for for strength, are quite strong boys. And apparently their backpacks, as you imagine, were quite heavy. They had uh, containers of um, protein powder and snacks and all sorts of things. So it was not only the simplicity, the beautiful simplicity of, okay, you have to carry someone else's bag, but it was who got the bag and whose bag they got that really put it over the top. Yeah, I found that to be so. I mean, I felt bad mainly for Chris in this case because he was basically carrying she was carrying his bag or, you know, some of it, but then he was carrying their two bags and sometimes his. And the fact that they, you know, kudos to them for turning around and then actually finishing second in that leg when they had to do that and not completely falling apart. I found that was, yeah, because of who it was on both ends, especially with Santa Wayne, I found that to be the most effective of the two because it was. And then those guys are just like, hey, this is this is great. Of course, they thought it was great. And then they still finish last. Not matter. <laughs> no, <laughs> not helpful. Uh, I think my next one is a little bit of a toss-up. I think one team member not being allowed to talk back in uh, leg two. I like that because of again, it's very simple. There's no props, but this idea of the communication between the teams being so vital. And uh, with Jude and Shannon, Shannon not being able to talk really impacted um, their race and they came second to last there. So they almost went out because of it. Yeah, I thought that was the toughest, actually, just in terms of pure. I mean, I, I think the carrying the bags is have is physically tough, but not being able to talk, especially so early on. And it just so you could tell it really impacted them so i think of all of them i mean some of the other ones i don't know if we should go through all of them but i would say i mean we why don't we look at what's the least impactful maybe i mean there's a few actually there's one from the first group of episodes of that way but um i think the other one is the kangaroos that really didn't have much of an impact at all i think it was i mean it was it's kind of the most obvious thing like you mentioned for australia but also just kind of like Oh, they got to carry them. I mean, it was a little difficult for the Sikhs, but not that much, actually. They're not, the kangaroos weren't heavy. They were perhaps a little awkward. But when they were doing uh, one of the physical tasks, I think they had to do make the skate. They had to make the skate rank with the kangaroos. They really just tucked them under their arm and, and went for it. So I think if I put it that way, which one would I like to get if I had to get a sabotage? I think I would be very happy to carry a a large kangaroo rather than uh, rather than any of the other ones. 
Yeah, I agree. And also asking for directions to me seems like it could be really hard. But I don't know, for me at least, it didn't seem like that leg required much direction. They had a map. You just kind of drove somewhere. It didn't seem to really play a big role with Chris and Alicia. Yes. And I mean, again, their placement was um, second to last. I'm sorry. Their placement was sort of middle of the pack. Um, You know, I think we get value because of the amount of complaining. Look, other team members may be complaining. The editors aren't showing it to me. So uh, that that sort of leads into the whole um, alliance discussion, which we're going to have later, which uh, which Chris and Alicia have certainly have very strong feelings about. So which advantage do you think is the best advantage? Um, you know, it's funny because some of them in theory seem good, like Jobel and Ronnie getting the island guide and it didn't really help them at all and they got eliminated. But partially that was because of, the swimming and everything. But to me, I feel like um, it's close. It's, I mean, I really think having someone drive you around is helpful, but electronic maps, there's a reason they aren't allowed to do that. So I think if you use it wisely could be really helpful because um, depending on the leg, I don't know how much it helped them in that leg for the Cowboys, but in general, I think that could be very helpful if you were in like a big metropolitan area that was difficult. Well, I think Stan and Wayne would have probably preferred the electronic map to <laughs> yes. having having Chris and Alicia carry their bags. Um, I, I think I feel like all the advantages are sort of much of a muchness, and none of them are particularly huge. None of them are leg altering, I don't think. Um, and I think see the driver even. I would rather be in charge of my own car and have the electronic map. I, I do think that's the, 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 the best one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, really, the biggest advantage of most of these is you didn't get disadvantaged. Yes. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, I guess Delore and Holly did get to jump the queue, which when there were so many teams was kind of helpful. But in general, it's just like you're almost like relieved. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You know, let's let's transition here into talking about teams, but also the alliance, because I think this does kind of work well with it, because Chris and Alicia have been sabotaged 
three times in a row. And granted, I think there's a combination of factors for why. You could easily just say that it's because of, and it's kind of interesting too, because all three times they weren't last. They were second last all three times. And all three times the people went, you know, um, we like the Cowboys more or we, you know, they didn't think Stan and Wayne were that much of a threat. So part of it could be, I don't know if it's just, it's a mix, I think, of Alliance and possibly just based on the edit personality. So I don't know. I mean, what is it about Chris and Alicia that people just don't want to work with them? Look, this is an interesting question. I mean, I've bagged Alicia a bit about uh, so far in this podcast for complaining, but I'm sure others are having moments of complaint too. Just, I mean, just on that, it seemed that the leg winners who were allotting the salvage and the sabotage were doing, oh, well, you came second last, so you get the salvage, and you came last, so you get the sabotage. And it was the stowaways, MJ and Chelsea, who came in, came first, and made it strategic. And it's as if from that moment the salvage and sabotage became a strategic choice rather than a, oh, let's be fair uh, choice. And as you say, Chris and Alicia have not come last um, but been sabotaged each time. Is it because... They, it's not anti them, it's pro a kind of loose alliance that's formed. Um, Alicia herself on this last leg said something like, Oh, they're playing some kind of twisted social game, which was a rather unfortunate quote because it's like that is actually part of that's actually part of the game. It's not, it's not, it's not some kind of twisted social game. The social side, although not as obvious as Survivor, is certainly there, and we hear too from from previous races in previous years where the alliances haven't actually been shown so much, they say, oh, yes, there were alliances, there were alliances. So I think perhaps she either doesn't know the game as well or because she's outside the alliance, she complains about the alliance. So I do want to give her her due. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, I give them credit in that they have been very resilient I mean, to not just, I'm not just talking about the sabotaging. They in general have had some challenges that have not been suited to them or like, you know, a challenge that's perfect for her. And then he does it, which was very unfortunate. And I, so I do think that they, they're pretty good racers overall. Like the fact that they're in the final six, I'm not sure I would have pegged them there when the race started, especially not knowing that we would have MJ and Chelsea. And well, I would have thought Santa Wayne, but that they weren't so good. But essentially, I don't know, because the Alliance is called the Originals, which, what do you think of that name first? I think it's a stupid name. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, correct. I'm sort of a bit anti-naming alliances, um, but, you know, if you're going to call yourself something, it's a really stupid name, because then you wouldn't be including MJ and Chelsea. Well, yeah, and um, also, too, Stan and Wayne got saved at that one point, and I think the main alliance, though, from what that one episode where they really pushed it home is the Cowboys, Sky Blue and Jake, Ashley and Amanda, and the Sikhs. To my opinion, that is the four that are the closest together. MJ and Chelsea, I think they like, see, that's the thing. This is what gets me. I think they like MJ and Chelsea because they're like friendly people and they don't seem like they're scheming and everything. And regardless of if it's fair or not, from what we're seeing on the edit, and even what we saw in the challenge with the Cowboys, you just, the Cowboys were not 
kind of irritated with them because they were in an alliance and they weren't in their alliance. They were, and it was partially because they gave up on being vegan. I understand they were not, they did not want to eat the oysters. I'm talking about the hundred oysters that came up, but essentially though, you could just sense that those teams, they don't really like them even before they really started. So there's got to be something there, right? It's not all editing. Yes. Uh, the Alliance, the, the originals, as they call themselves, uh, is it seems to be an alliance of social ease. Like they like each other. They've helped uh, each other. Certainly uh, Sky Blue uh, you know, got a knife for Jessica. She's a very, you know, she's someone who is generous and helpful. Um, the Sikhs, uh, Jessica and Anurag have talked about their upbringing, meaning that they help people. Um, the bodybuilders told MJ and Chelsea where um, where their photo was in the big stadium challenge. Uh, MJ and Chelsea returned the favour to the Cowboys to tell them where their photo was. I think there's a group of racers who have a generosity of spirit and there are some like Holly and Delore where Delore says things like, oh, let's get that table so we can copy them. Oh, let's grab that ball that's theirs. Now, that's all within the rules of the race, but it's it's like that idea of what is the what is the culture of this particular race, the Amazing Race Australia, season five, what was the culture and the overall um, feel of the race? And it seems to be this kind of sporting competition but generosity of spirit and perhaps either Chris and Alicia haven't had a chance to be generous or aren't seen to have that generosity by the other races because the whining and complaining that she does do, she generally only does it to Chris. He is her husband. She's allowed to. He's contractually obliged to listen to her whining. <laughs> so it's not as if, as far as we know, the other teams are experiencing her the way we experience her. So it may be as simple as they missed the moment to work together. I don't know. I don't know. What do, what do you think? Well, you bring up a good point, though, because I do think like this is not a case where you look at their relationship and be like, well, what's the deal there? They seem to have a good relationship between each other, Chris and Alicia. I mean, I look at them and I'm like, I can totally see it. They've been together for a really long time. But in terms of other teams, you know, sometimes, I mean, this is the case in life. There's just some people that get along really well, whether it's you have some similarities or whether, you know, you're really athletic or, I mean, I don't think it's as simple as athleticism, but it's just, or you're just more laid back. And I mean, I do get the sense, especially with a team like the Cowboys, that that even though they were kind of intense in the most recent episode, that in general, they're pretty chill and they laugh at themselves and they're kind of goofy and they're not really stressed out. And the Sikhs are really even keel overall. So I wonder if it's just kind of the approach to the race where you don't have some seasons you could have five or six or seven teams that are all pretty tense and pretty getting upset or whatever. But I also think the reason some of these teams have done so well is because they aren't getting that frustrated. So maybe it's all connected, but I want to kind of on a related note, we had a really good question about season 32 of the amazing race that Chris Dixon brought up and asking about this Alliance in comparison. Personally, the, the Alliance's stuff in season 32 drove me nuts. 
And I think a lot of it had to do not with the teams, though. I think the editing was obsessed. The editors were obsessed with the Alliance, and that's all they showed. And here, I feel like the show has done a really good job of not pushing it. But that doesn't mean it's not there. It could be almost as prominent. We just aren't seeing it. Yes, I think you're right. I don't know if it is as prominent. I think that a really good example is the 100 Oysters Challenge. For those who didn't watch, the challenge was to shuck and eat 100 oysters. but the teams had to pair up. So it was an intersection. We got the wonderful line from uh, MJ where she said she was shucking terrible at the at the uh, challenge. Here we saw um, teams prefer to work with perhaps that group of four uh, because there's, a, as you say, there's an It's as if those four teams, if you really look at them, they're competitive but relaxed. They have a sense of humour about themselves. Not so much um, the Cowboys in this last one. They were quite distressed to be teamed up with um, Chris and Alicia, not for any uh, alliance reason, but because Chris and Alicia are vegans. And the Cowboys said to them, but it's $250,000. You can't eat an oyster for $250,000. Where Chris and Alicia were proposing... uh, to abandon the task and take the penalty. Um, And then Jackson just got a bug up his bottom about these oysters and that it would happen and that they would be eaten. So he says to them, all right, you shuck them, I'll eat them. Uh, Brendan eats one oyster, having never eaten an oyster before, declares he is now no longer going to eat oysters, so he eats one. Uh, Chris and Alicia are going to eat None. Uh, So Jackson sets about to eat 99 oysters on his own. And I think he just was quite intense and got extremely bloody minded. And he was just, he was going to do it, come what may. And at one point he says to Brendan, how many left? And Brendan does a quick count and says, 65. (laughs) At which point? (laughs) Yes. At which point I think Jackson realised that he was he was being ridiculous. So I don't think that they didn't want to work with Chris and Alicia because of the any dislike or um, because of the um, alliance. It really was because they, the Cowboys, couldn't understand why you couldn't put aside your principles and eat oysters for $250,000. And Chris and Alicia, to my mind, quite rightly, said, we can't eat oysters. We are vegans. They were last at that time. Uh, Do you think they knew? Do you think the Cowboys knew they were coming in last, the four of them? I think so. Mm. I think that I can't remember if any of the other teams were still there or not, but I think that they knew they were the last two. And, And in a sense, yeah. And this is a case where I'm not the strategy of you're the last two teams. Let's just, um, stop and, and we'll, both give it our show. We've seen teams do this on the U S version with three teams where they say, this is impossible. We're the last three teams. Let's all take the penalty and just roll for it. The team that finishes last always regrets it. But, um, but here, I don't know. It's like part of me thinks, you know, there'd been two eliminations in a row. Couldn't you assume there was going to be a non-elimination? I'm not trying to pick on them. I'm just saying at that point, he's not thinking logically. So he just thinks this is the task. We're doing the task. We don't take penalties. We don't quit. And I think that's a mentality difference too, where Chris and Alicia were more, it's not about, I mean, they were thinking 
well, we're not going to do this because we're vegan, but also, well, if we get a penalty, that's fine. Let's just move forward. And, and that's just different race mentalities that maybe shows a little of what it was, the, the, the way they approach it a bit differently, I guess. Yes. I, I mean, I suppose you don't know that it's going to be a non-elimination leg, although we've had um, Stan and Wayne and Holly and Delore go out in the previous two legs. Uh, if they were thinking that it was going to be a foot race, I mean, Brendan and Jackson, the Cowboys, are very fit. I mean, as are Chris and Alicia. Um, finishing the 99 Oysters and then going into a foot race, uh, if he'd been thinking, you know, Jackson might have thought, well, it's actually probably better if I don't have 99 Oysters on board as I try and foot race to be second to last with these two. Uh, I think he just got into a... He just got in, you know, into a bit of a whirl, and um, yeah. I liked what that said about the relationship of the two cowboys. We've seen them sort of joking with each other and calling each other out, and you know, being that kind of Australian mates where you're really, really rude to each other, and that shows how much you like each other. And what was really interesting here was that Brendan just pulled right back. He didn't challenge Jackson. He calmly shucked oysters and handed them over. I think he knows his friend really well, and this is where um, teams that know each other really well, he knew, sit back, don't argue, don't challenge him, just let him come to it himself. Um, so I think that kind of spoke really well of, of their relationship. And and while Chris and Alicia aren't my favourite team, I was definitely on their side in terms of, no, they shouldn't have to eat an oyster for $250,000. It's not like a case where there were two doors and you ate an oyster and you got the money and you didn't eat an oyster and you didn't get it. It was you eat an oyster and you have a shot. You're really in the exact same place that you would be if you didn't eat one, which is running for last with this other team. Yeah. So there wasn't really a benefit. I mean, I, I'm not trying to turn principles versus benefit. I'm just saying it's even clearer why they didn't do it. But this brings up, you bring up the Cowboys and I like their relationship. I find them entertaining, but just that example Compare that example to Holly trying to lick chocolate and Delore just being ridiculous. And that to me was that, I mean, I'll get into it a little more what I thought about them because I've been back and forth, back and forth. But that really shows just a different type of team, Holly and Delore, who may not always be on the same page, unfortunately. Yes. Is it time to talk about them yet? I think it is. I think we should do it now. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> we you, had a, you go. I'll well, let you start. We had a, a, a message on Facebook from Atul Joshi, and he said, Prince de Law, full stop, just full stop. Why? Question mark. And it's a very good question, Atul. Thank you for writing in. I don't know the answer to the question. I. In, in in our first wrap-up, I was rather harsh about their relationship. I said they don't like each other. What are they doing together? I've softened somewhat on that. Uh, he is, I'd say, a mass of contradictions, but he's actually not. He's what we call a sukilala in this country. Um, he is, he, he wouldn't lick the chocolate. Let's start there. He couldn't possibly lick the chocolate. While she was licking the chocolate, he couldn't lick the chocolate. If she'd stood back, he could lick the chocolate. He couldn't lick the chocolate. He couldn't watch her licking the chocolate. But then 
he went behind the chocolate art and he was the one that discovered uh, the places that you could lick in order to reveal the clue. And then they worked together brilliantly. It's like they snapped in together and it was like night and day from him giving up, throwing his hands up, not wanting to do it, not listening, to he found something that he was good at, he felt clever, and suddenly they snapped and you could see them working together as a team. So I go backwards and forwards on them. I was ready for them to go when they were eliminated, but they've certainly provided us an enormous amount of entertainment. What do you think? You know, I was ready a few legs ago, maybe like, by um like 12 or 13 or whatever i was ready to come in and say they're so much fun they've changed completely they've mellowed out i'm really enjoying them because there was a stretch of episodes where every episode they just made me laugh he made me laugh so hard his dancing like you had that stretch where he did the greek dancing and then he did the dancing in the lederhosen and it was always ridiculous i mean he was every episode he was doing something ridiculous and I was like, this is great. And they're not arguing as much and they're doing better in the race. And I'm kind of finding, thinking, well, maybe we were a little too hard. And then we had a few moments. There was the subway challenge where he was just losing his mind about nothing and wouldn't talk. And then this one where I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I remember now. So like you said, I think it's, it's contradictions because in one sense, when things are going well, when they're pulling in the same direction, they seem to have a good relationship. They can be laid back. And his like um, antics or whatever are funny. There's just those moments every once in a while when it gets stressful, understandably so, where you just see him and you're like, dude, this is not the thing to be. It's like, it's not always the biggest, hardest things. It's, it's the strange, oh, like, you know, him saying, you know, the building where he wanted to go build. And she's like, we've talked about this. We won't, we won't do the building. This is what said of the chocolate. And so it's just sometimes I think too, part of it is just race fatigue. But I think overall, I come down on them as being entertained and finding them enjoyable. But also by the time they went, I was like you, I was like, Okay, I'm good. I think this was the right spot for them. Yes, I I found their confessionals really curious. So he spoke very seriously about how great they were. They're the best couple in the world and all of this sort of thing. There was a little crack where he said that he had attempted a certain task three times before he had managed to do it. And Holly turns to him and said it was six times. And he rounds on her and says, why do you always have to bring everything down? Why do you have to be so negative? Mm. Which was slightly shocking because although they bicker and argue, I hadn't really seen him round on her. And then she says, because they're going to show it, babe. And I thought this was a really (laughs) good encapsulation of he has to be the best. He has to have only tried it three times and then he got it. He he talks. It's almost a little boy lost sort of thing. He has to talk about, talk himself up. And and she is very practical. And I think she probably sees him for what he, for what he is. But yes, I was definitely ready for them to go, yeah. you know, with our blessings. Yeah, there was just a few times, I think in the last few episodes, especially the last one where there were these interviews where he would say like, you know, this came up and this happened in the early legs too, where it would be like, like, you know, you get to the mat and he would just be like, well, I did well. She just wouldn't listen to me or she was looking the wrong way or just kind of weird excuses that just kind of 
you know, I mean, just was very self-aware. And I think, again, we're seeing an edited version. So obviously, but still, yeah. she seems to be able to call that out very well. And maybe that's how it works. But like when they were underground, it couldn't find the underground hotel. And he was just so focused on what he was doing and wouldn't listen to her and wouldn't listen. And your example, I think, calls that out perfectly, too. Well, in fact, with the underground hotel, she found it. She found the exit. Yeah. She, she guided them out of the opal mine. And he said, oh, why would it be here? And he turned around and walked back. She had no choice but to follow him. It wasn't a team discussion about are we in the right place? Are we not in the right place? So that sort of non-teamwork, I mean, he thought maybe that being a ginger ninja might be skydiving. That was sort of rather hilarious. But the <laughs> constant blaming of other people. There was a moment when yes. they were trying to build the card table and she glanced somewhere and he knocked some cards down and he said, you looked over there. You looked over yeah, there. Yeah, that was not good. It's like, what else is going to be Holly's fault? So, yes, I mean, I agree with you that there was an enthusiasm about him when he was doing something that he liked and thought he was right. good at, like the dancing, like when he got really excited about being in the army. He'd always wanted to be in the army. He played Call of Duty. He liked dressing up in the fatigues. And then he was just kind of r ridiculous and clownish, but sort of not exactly lovable, but it, it, but entertaining. But by the end, I just, I just wanted them gone because I didn't want to, I didn't want to hear about, hear their bickering. I mean, with, um, I'm blanking on the names, but the influences from last year who were sort of similar couple, at least you felt they were a team who both thought that they were a great uh, couple and uh, thought everybody else was beneath them, but, but worked very well as a team. Um, and I think that, that that's the thing that, that tired me the most was that they weren't, that they were constantly not working as a team. Right. Cause we had a question from Sherry Lazarus on Twitter that said to Laura or Alicia, who's the worst contestant. And I don't really like to call it worse, but I will say the difference between the two is how they interact with their partners. Absolutely. I think, I think that's, we already called that out, but that's the big difference. And Delore, I think, what gets what I struggle with is when he's really giving Holly a hard time and for no reason. I mean, for reasons that don't make sense. Yes. And it's more than just the little frustrations that, you know, we see between Ashley and Amanda and certainly Sky Blue and Jake had a bit of a ding dong about, you know, driving and finding the park, you know, and finding uh, the navigation. But this is not a constant thing. It's just uh, they're tired and, and they get a little irritable and they know each other really well. So they're going to just have a little moment where they go backwards and forwards. Totally. And um, so I think, too, before we we should also talk about a few other teams that we really like. I want to call out Ashley and Amanda again because we mentioned them in the first run. And I just the reason being that I feel like they're so they're the strongest team in terms of overall placement. I think MJ and Chelsea are right there, but Ashley and Amanda have won five legs. If I look at their, they finished eighth in the first leg and I'm not going to read 17 legs for all of everyone here. That would be painful, but they've never been lower than six and they have a lot of third, third, second, third, you know, a lot of that fifths and also too have a good relationship and, you know, really kind of go against what, I mean, sometimes it's a very unfair stereotype, but really are strong and also just very competent racers. And I, I'm rooting for, the, I'm rooting for MJ Chelsea, but I'd be rooting for Ashley and Amanda if they want to. Yes. I'm very fond of Ashley and Amanda. At first I thought, oh, well, you know, they're the Gold Coast girls. 
They're trying to, you know, charm their way into things instead of doing the work. Um, but it is one of the things in their arsenal. And really from that first episode onwards, to me, they've just got stronger and stronger. They're, they're strategic, strategic both in the tasks that they choose, the way they choose to go about them, and that they were probably on the lookout, if not for an alliance, certainly for teams that they could race with. And the teams they've chosen to race with, with are very clever um they know each other very well clearly and they're just having so much fun i think that's what attracts me as much as how competent they are is that they're just having an absolute ball with everything uh that they're doing so i i would love it if mj and chelsea won um i hope they wouldn't get tainted by being the stowaways and other than that ashley and amanda i think are have a place in my heart and as well as Sky Blue and Jake and Jasker and Nanyarag as well. Interestingly, three of the of the four of the um, alliance. I like the Cowboys. I don't feel that they're winning uh, just because they are breaking down a little bit. They seem to be suffering the fatigue of that sort of top four or five teams. They seem to be suffering the 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 17 legs of it all more than the others, more certainly than Chris and Alicia as well. What do you think? I agree. And I think we even saw when they had to box up, um, I forget what they were boxing, but uh, it was all the pureed raspberries. Yeah. Very raspberries. <laughs> uh, but basically, and they were getting so frustrated and you just see some of the other teams like the, like Jasker and Anarag as an example, who will often fall behind or often, you know, be behind but they stay very focused and they just kind of plow away. And all of a sudden you blink and they're third again. And you're like, how did that happen? Where I think that is true. The Cowboys are all over the map in terms of where they finish. But I think too, generally, I mean, they finished last this time. They also finished last in like 11 and both times were salvaged. Ultimately, if you keep doing that and given, like you said, the trends of how they're racing. Um, yeah. They, it doesn't look great. I don't know. I wouldn't be yeah. shocked if they go out next. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if they go out next too. It's interesting, but that top six, they've all had at least uh, two firsts. Um, but the top of the leaderboard is is actually in, a, in terms of firsts. And I know you only have to come first in the last leg. But, um, yes, I would predict um, that uh, Brendan and Jackson go next, uh, just given what we've been shown. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, um, we're going to get to some questions a little bit. I wanted to ask you about a couple more things. Mm -hmm. um, one, there were so many eating challenges. So um, I during the stretch, they had, let me go quickly through the Barramundi with the chopsticks, the German plate of bratwurst and frankfurters. You had the lady in the tramp, but you also had the three snails that nobody ate. The people that set up that challenge had to be very disappointed. Then you had the licking the chocolate and the oysters all of these things have happened since in the last 10 episodes, actually. So what do you think of seeing so many people puking and struggling and um, so much of it? When, and this is uh, in addition to the 20 dry wheat picks from the, yes. first, the first six episodes. It's too much. It's too much. I mean, some of those are um, choices. So you can eat or do something else. I, I'm not that keen on watching people eat. Um, I'm not surprised that nobody picked the mangrove worms. They only had to eat three of them, but 
gross food, I just don't, I, I, I don't like looking at it and I don't admire someone for having completed it necessarily. Um, and then the illness that they feel is certainly poor Amanda. Was Amanda's lactose intolerance? She was not at all well after um, licking all that chocolate. She was interviewed the following night on a news program, and she said, "Yes, she'd had she'd had a very um, explosive evening after oh, licking the chocolate." <laughs> so, but you know, she did it. She did it because she's a competitor. I, I think any one of them is interesting. All of them in a row is not interesting to me. How do you feel about it? I think I agree. Because, yeah, I mean, in a one sense, some of the most memorable U.S. Amazing Race challenges ever are eating challenges. So you can have, I mean, there's the meat block and there's the one where they had to eat the soup and the guy threw up in the soup in season six, Freddie, and then had to eat it. So there's, <laughs> I mean, sorry. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I, I you can get Jess going about that, that one in that whole season. But in general, there are amazing eating challenges that can be really impressive. And there was a stretch in the early U S seasons where they had that. However, a lot of times it's just like sitting there watching people in pain. Mm. And I think that's interesting to change it up. It also requires different skills that some people are very good at that. Like you saw Stan and Wayne when they had the German plate, we're just like, all right, here we go. <laughs> so it's like different things. It doesn't involve directions, but, um, I do think it ju I just noticed it during the oysters where I was like, yeah, this might, it was when they reached that and I, we had already done all the rest. And I thought this might be too much given everything they've done recently. So I don't know. It might be a little bit just, um, watching a lot of them in a short period of time, but they all kind of roll together into one big challenge. I think uh, despite the fact that the subway sandwich challenge it was not that popular with fans um and is definitely huge product placement i thought at least that had um you know the idea that you make a sandwich with 10 ingredients and your blindfolded teammate has to identify all the ingredients so here we have not just that you're eating but that you're identifying the ingredients so i liked that um i thought that at least had more to it than just plowing on and on through this uh, huge plate of sausage. What the oysters had was the shucking, which was good. Uh, Jake told his group of four just to use brute force, and MJ and Chelsea said, oh, yes, brute force, yes, it actually <laughs> works. So those things that have more than just sit down and get through it, I, I just think it's too many. Any one or, one or two of them might have been okay, but as you say, there are just so many of them. Uh, it becomes, well, you feel a bit queasy yourself. You have to put down your Magnum ice cream that you might or might not be eating while you're watching. <laughs> I totally forgot about the Subway one. That wasn't even on my list, and, and people even mentioned it, but I forgot that was during it. You know, I'm so used to Amazing Race Canada where they, in the most recent season, almost had a product placement challenge in every single leg, basically, because that's, and I'm like, that's okay, because it keeps them on the air. So I wasn't as, didn't think as big of a deal that there was a subway challenge. I found it interesting that there was a moment earlier in the season where multiple teams, we saw shots of people eating Subway in the car. And I was like, did they just, I didn't think Subway was a sponsor at the time. And I'm like, did they just all go to Subway and the show is showing it? And it was just very strange. And they got to this. I'm like, 
oh, okay, I see it now. They didn't just all go to Subway. The show might even be providing Subway at some point to them. But this challenge, I mean, Jeffrey Kay asked if it was the lamest task. No, no, not the lamest one, I'd say. Um, Catherine asked, what would you put on the Subway sandwich? See, me, I don't even put 10 ingredients on a sandwich at Subway, so I am not a good, I'm like, um, lettuce, uh, salt and pepper, tomato, um, that's about it. So I'm not a good person to choose here. So 10 would be the hard thing for me. I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but would this be hard for you? Well, I, I think it's not exactly a tangent because the strategy is in who is going to eat the sandwich and therefore the other person has to think about what they would like and what they're likely to be able to taste. And I know we finished with Holly and Delore, but they did have quite an argument as to who would eat and who would build the sandwich and they both claimed not to be able to taste food. So I thought, well, that's <laughs> intriguing. Um, but um, MJ got it in one bite because Chelsea obviously knows her very well uh, and put put on what she would like. If you count uh, the bread and the butter as two ingredients, it's down to eight. Um, I would normally, I don't go to Subway a lot, but if I do, I have the tuna, which I now believe I shouldn't have because it's uh, tuna adjacent. Um, and then I suppose it would be tomato, capsicum, lettuce. I mean, whoever was building it for me would have to just pile on the different uh, vegetable, you know, salad sides and then maybe some mayonnaise, something like that. I wondered, uh, had they not been last and eliminated anyway, whether the hint about um, so the bodybuilders, he couldn't get, one last ingredient, which was olives, and his team, I don't know who was eating the sandwich, but the other one said, remember, we were just Greek dancing, you know, giving him the hint about right. the olives. And I thought, ooh, is that going to come back to them? But, in fact, they were uh, last to the mat and eliminated in that leg, so it didn't come up. Uh, just on that um, idea of penalties, I think both you and I have been curious about this and so have some of the people writing to us about the brain and the brawn selection. Yeah, that was the whole thing didn't make any sense to me. And I know this came up a lot. We had Luke TVHD asking, um, why would they, he basically said, at what point they made them pick it and then they made it so dramatic. And then afterwards they're like, well, you're where you picked and it's a whole thing. And then they could just switch like Kirsten and Alicia did, which made the whole thing so weird. One thing, it was really early in the race. So a lot of people that pricked brains abroad were eliminated, which was kind of strange. But then too, it was all, it felt like, you know, we talk about how they're throwing a lot of darts at the board. And to me, this seems like something that in theory would be, super smart. And somebody didn't do all the thinking here. I feel like there was something missing where either you can't switch or there had to be some negative here that was more than what actually it was. Yes, I agree. I mean, I think it, it's intriguing that they make a big thing of, all, you know, as you repel, uh, repel, no, abseil down the cliff face, halfway down, you're going to pick brains or brawn and you're going to make that your team task and you don't know why and you don't know what leg it's coming up. Uh, then it comes up and there's a couple of bits of drama. Alicia sh was sure that she put brains, uh, but as it turned out, she put brawn. Uh, I think 
she might think there's some shenanigans, but uh, presumably she did just make a mistake there. Then MJ and Chelsea, who weren't at the original challenge, pick Braun, which means that uh, Stan and Wayne, the bodybuilders, are compelled to pick Brain. So now you've got some sort of really exciting restrictions that have been built up, only to find that they're allowed to switch. I don't... I, I, I think that's a real wah-wah at the end where, not that I want to torture Chris and Alicia, but having made that error and picked Braun, that they had to go, that they would have been compelled to do the army obstacle course. Um, so it was half a good idea or it was a whole good idea that wasn't um, followed through uh, on the field, as it were. Yeah, I think that too. I mean, I guess the downside was that they had to get back on, if I remember correctly, get back on the chopper and go to the other place. So it could have been like a time issue. But, um, and also, I felt like Brains, I mean, some of the teams that eventually figured out Brains, I think the brawn I felt like was way too hard for teams that didn't want to do that. But Brains didn't really seem impossible. I mean, didn't Holly, Holly and Delore figured it out and they seemed completely lost when they started. So maybe it wasn't even totally. I just think doing something like that, the show felt like they had to give teams an out, especially with how hard Braun was. But in a sense, that just kind of nullified the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, if you ask a group of, you know, a, a group, a, a sergeant to run your team through an army obstacle course, shouting at them the whole time, run, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, do you want to be second? Is second good enough for you? Don't you want to be first? I think the, the, the teams that enjoyed that, enjoyed it, you know, enjoyed being shouted at, enjoyed running, enjoyed the difficulty of it, but it was really tough. Like it wasn't a little bit tough. It was really tough. Um, and then Holly and Delore and Stan and Wayne, after a couple of uh, issues with their bomb targeting, seemed to figure out the map. In a, you know, once you've, once you figured out what your figures had to be, it seemed like that was pretty straightforward. So that you've got a really unbalanced um, uh, detour. Uh, is it a detour? Sorry. Yeah, it was blank. a detour. Yeah, detour. Yeah. Uh, where one side is very much weighted in terms of time. I like it. I like detours that are evenly weighted and you pick your, what you think is going to be your strength. Something that you just have to get done, but it's going to take time or something that you uh, needs a bit more luck or a bit more, um, you know, logical thinking or well, whatever it might be that they're more, I suppose what I'm saying is that they're more balanced and this seemed very unbalanced and interestingly almost all the teams had picked Braun um, so I just think it was a misfire if you will pardon the pun yeah <laughs> that was a pretty good pun actually though <laughs> but um, yeah I think that for the most part I feel like they've done a pretty good job with trying to balance things well there have been a few exceptions um, we had a you know a question about another task from Michael P. Green where he said you know they had the the challenge where you had to throw the fake fish into the hoops versus doing bocce ball for the most part he brought that up and said it was one of the most unbalanced balanced detours in terms of time which makes sense to me but I know one of the teams just could not do it and just failed so maybe that was more even but that was one example I know that for the teams that could do it, it was a lot of these again are time versus skill versus 
getting something done eventually. And I think that was one of those. And those can always be a little weird to me when if you're really good at something, you can do it fast or, you know, other times it's pretty straightforward, but it takes a while. So uh, to me, that didn't stand out as much, but I know he brought it up. Were there others like that or did that one stand out to you? Well, the fish one stood out to me because I didn't quite understand how the teams didn't figure out because they were told you have to turn around three times with your tuna and then throw it, which is as good as saying to them, think about it like a discus throw, get your momentum up and then let go of the fish. And teams either figured it out or didn't figure it out. But none of the teams seem to automatically go, oh, it's a discus throw. I just have to, you know, swing it round and round three times and let it go uh, with the impetus. So that I I thought was, that was puzzling. Um, Delore certainly felt that the bocce was good because he'd be able to beat some old uh, Croatians, <laughs> cut to the editors having fun because in that in that one you had to put on a kerchief for right. every game you lost, <laughs> cut to Delore almost invisible <laughs> under a pile of kerchiefs. Uh, the editors loved Delore, loved him. Um, but I think that, yes, I, that's definitely an unbalanced one. I, I think the others, uh, for example, when they're in Kubapedi, and for those who don't know, Kubapedi is a town that uh, in a very hot part of the country uh, which is a very also a very barren part of the country. Think Mad Max, and you've got the idea. In fact, Mad Max was filmed around there. Um, and the houses and the hotels and everything are in the uh, opal mines that have been exhausted. Um, so it's quite an extraordinary and otherworldly place. And here the detour was either to um, sift or put into the noodler, you know, a certain number of buckets of mullet, which is the... Um, the broken up rock that may or may not have opal in it, or go down into the mine and search with a black light for one piece of opal. And to me, this is an absolute classic balanced detour because people like MJ and Chelsea, they'd say, right, we're just going to do it. We're just going to get our 20 buckets. We're going to fill them. We're going to do it. Boom, 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 and get it done. And others who are either not so physical or were a bit hot went down into the mine searching for one piece of opal and then an exit. So I felt like each would probably take around about the same time and you as a team just have to figure out which style is going to suit you better. Yeah, that's a great example. Other ones too, like we're dancing or eating. It's two very different things that you might, one team would be good at and one wouldn't be or both, you know, but you don't, you don't get stuck doing something, so you're kind of able to figure it out. And even in theory, the brains and bronze would work that way, but not so much. So I think in general, they've done a pretty good job. I find sometimes it's more, it stands out more that things are off. But here, it's a lot of it is just different skills, which has allowed some teams that, you know, we had, we have yet to even mention Jordan and Violetta who did actually last through much of these episodes, but who, whenever there was a task that involved dancing, would literally just like be so excited they were going to kill it and didn't always do very well, actually. But, you know, that's the thing where you have one team that's really just looking for one type of task, which can benefit them or not sometimes. And they're both dancers. And I think that's where we see even MJ and Chelsea, who both play football, they have different skills. Ashley and Amanda, they can say, oh, she's better at this and I'm better at this. Mm -hmm. Uh, With Jordan and Violetta, they both, they, they dance. So 
they're graceful and they can pick up dance steps. They lasted a really long time for a team that was sort of swirling around the bottom two thirds most of the time. The highest they got to was second. Um, I feel like they were always running behind. They 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 did they did fine. They weren't terrible. They weren't boring. They weren't interesting. They were a bit sort of <laughs> meh. No, they were a bit like they weren't meh. boring or interesting. They were neither. Um, I think perhaps production. They called them the dancing exes. They maybe thought there was going to be a bit more juice in them being ex partners, but in fact, what we saw was to you know perfectly calm, sort of loving friends uh, with no no problems about being ex So, um, yes, that's actually a very interesting point, Dan, that I think if one is setting off on the amazing race and thinking about who your teammate should be, think about what you can't do and pick someone who can, someone that you know, a story that you have between you. But I think both of you having this uh, very similar uh, skill set is, uh, is 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 going to put you in trouble when there are two tasks and neither of them suit you. That's why twins don't always do that well because they're the same age. They you know maybe they do the same occupation. No, I, I'm probably exaggerating this part of it, but yeah, I agree in general because I think you do need a lot of skills. And we've seen the best teams though like sky blue and Jake, like Jake in certain tasks, like he's really tall and there are tasks that seem to give some people a lot of trouble that he's just like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to go do that, which I sometimes am surprised by. But then in other cases, she is very impressive. And I've not mentioned that much. There are a lot of times where she's doing something and I'm thinking like, that's really hard for anyone. And she's destroying this. And so those two, though, are not don't do the same things. I mean, except for when they had to do the skinny dipping, they both had to swim. But in general, they're they both complement each other very well. And they haven't gotten a lot of firsts and they've had some issues with getting lost, like you mentioned, but kind of just are hanging in there because they do tend to make the right choices on certain tasks and what they can do. Yes, I think one of the things that Sky Blue and Jay, he's six foot seven, I believe. One of the things that they are really good at is they read the they stop they read the clue and they have a moment where they really think about um, you know if it's a, if one of them has to do it what it might be and where and what skill that person has or if it's a detour they really have that moment of thinking which one should we do whereas some of the other teams you see them just making some sort of instant decision now I know the adrenaline's running you've just ripped the clue you want to get going but I think what what uh, Sky Blue and Jake have is a real consideration for the race, I think, strategically in terms of uh, what tasks they're going to do and who's going to do what. You notice that she does all the driving and he does all the navigating, so that was obviously a discussion um, that they had. Uh, she's she's quite extraordinary. She's physically very strong. She's very dexterous um, when you see her working, um, and I think they're a terrific team. Me too. And at first, like when we talked, I think even after six episodes, I, I, we hadn't seen that much of them. And my thought was kind of like, well, they seem like nice people, but as they've come along and been more tested and we've seen them kind of have to work through sometimes when they're near the bottom and they kind of hang in there very well and are able to avoid basically, you know, that when they haven't been involved, I mean, they were second last in a uh, leg 15, 
but they haven't been involved in any salvage or sabotage or anything like that, but they've just been very steady. Now, I don't know if that's enough for them to win, but it's gotten them really far, which has been really cool. I also want to ask you too, I know we've been going on for pretty long, but there's a few things I want to hit from questions and what we've talked about, which is kind of a two, two types of things. One being that we've not really seen U-turns. We had a really early U-turn with, with um, Shane and Deb when they had to U-turn someone. And then also the T-junction, which we talked about in the first podcast and still you know, we had a question come out on Twitter where it was like, basically, well, it would make sense for the T junction where you're splitting into two groups, which we kind of see. We've seen a lot of intersections. We've even seen where you have two different boats where that totally would have worked, but we haven't seen them split completely like that and then have this setup. And now we're down to six. You assume next leg, we're going to be down to five. And with the salvage and sabotage, I don't think we're going to see it next leg. Are we going to see this at all? Yes, it's odd because this is a twist that's been trumpeted. I did check back on the Wikipedia page. It still has it listed as a twist that is to come. So I was thinking how it would work just to uh, recap from last time. The T-junction, the first team to arrive at the T-junction, organises all the remaining teams into two supergroups. Uh, the each supergroup runs the rest of the leg together and whichever group arrives last picks who is eliminated, which is quite a departure from anything we've seen before. Um, the only thing I can think, Dan, is if so we're up to 18, uh, Ashley and Amanda have a first-class pass, so they won't be racing. So the only thing I can think is that 18 is also going to be a non-elimination leg, so that in leg 19 we have six teams, and it's that then that the T uh, that the T junction will happen uh, with two groups of three teams. I can't figure it out any other way, because if it was just two teams and two teams, it's a it's a it's an intersection. Right, and then it also it kind of weird with the whole idea that some team would either get eliminated or, you know, I wonder too. I know that the original thought was that. The group that does worse gets eliminated. I mean, one of them gets eliminated. I mean, I guess you could do it as no, you couldn't really do it at four, but we could have like, if we really have 24 legs, you almost think the next leg almost has to be. I mean, there's a good chance the next leg is not elimination. If we only have like a fewer number of legs, maybe not, but it is weird. I feel like, yeah, we have to see it at six. So either, Either it's a mistake and they didn't do it or they they did it and it somehow didn't work and they cut it from the show, which they have had a few tasks they haven't shown. But to me, this feels like it's do or die in the next two episodes. Yes, you bring up a good point. It may have already happened and we just didn't see it. I mean, when the we haven't talked about the balloons falling out of the sky, which was rather rather exciting, but the pilots yeah. were both very, very calm and gave them really good instructions. One of the racers said, oh, it was complete chaos. But in fact, the pilots' voices had been very calm. They told them exactly what to expect. They told them the physical uh, position to get in. And they said, the basket will tip over. And indeed, the basket did tip over. And it all looked, you know, probably a bit heart-stopping if you're in it, but it looked very controlled. And so they had to have an impromptu uh, sort of team against team folding up the balloon. Um, but that wasn't this idea of the T-junction with, with a selection by the first team as to what the two supergroups will be and the elimination. 
it has to be three teams for an elimination. Otherwise, you would just each vote for each other. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think if it's 21 legs, so 18 is the next leg, five will race, one will have the first class pass. If that's a non elimination, six teams then in leg 19 with this T junction and one elimination. So then that's um, five teams for leg 20 and eliminate one. Four teams for 21? No, that doesn't seem right either. Well, you could you could do something weird like they've done a few times in the U.S. where they eliminate a team during the final leg. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, in fact, it, it could be 21. I can't see them pushing to 24. I don't. How do you do it? You can't bring in another team at this point. No, you wouldn't bring another team. I think we're done with that. People would lose their minds. Yeah. Um, I would think you would have to do non-elimination on the next. I'm going to look at the leg chart here. Okay, non-elimination on 18. And then on 19, you go from 6 to 5. 20, let's see here. Would 20 be like the normal second leg of the week then? Yes, it would. So 20 is the salvage, sabotage, non-elimination. 21, you go to 4. 22, you go to three. 23 is the non-elimination. No, it doesn't work. I don't know how you do it. You'd have to have double, two non-eliminations in a row again. You'd have to do it twice. And I think that's a lot of non-eliminations. I, I, I think, I, yeah, I'm thinking now it's 21 legs and leg 21 starts with four teams. One team is eliminated mid-leg and then you have the three teams race to the end. Yeah, that's probably, you know, it's, you would think it'd be clear, but <laughs> there's just, it's not that clear. But it's also because in the U.S. you would say, well, they've had three nomination legs. They always do like 12 or 13, or it's pretty standard how many they do, 11 some seasons. They'll do, you know, it's gotten down a little bit. But this is, Australia is totally different. So, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It just, it's a different kind of show. I've still been enjoying it. Um, I want to ask to one more question from my list that I have here. Jeffrey K asked, is there a certain twist on the show that I would like that, well, that we would like to see used on US or Canada? So for you, is there like a twist that you really like that they've done that you would like to see in another version? I think one and one only salvage and sabotage quite early, quite early in the number of legs. Say there are 12 legs uh, around five or six, something like that. So a non-elimination leg and instead of a speed bump, which you generally would get, that the first team to arrive issues the salvage and sabotage. No first-class pass. Get rid of that. That's crazy. Um, I think that could be intriguing, especially if it's a surprise and especially if they only do it once. I think that could be quite fun. What about you? You know, that was what I was going to think of, too, though I will say the U.S. version always finds a way to make them mess it up. Like they had the face off, which works really well in Canada and the U.S. head to head. It just doesn't work because it's right before the pit stop and it's kind of a mess. So but setting aside that, I think I like your idea of them doing it. And uh, maybe once I mean, if we do it, OK, let's say they have it's really early in like two or three and then you do it again on like five or six. OK, I have always liked the idea of every non-elimination having something different happen. 
like the speed bump, just usually the speed bumps are boring tasks with a few exceptions. And when they keep on racing, that's kind of fun. But I think something like the salvage and sabotage, but then come up with two or three others to keep the racers on their toes, as long as they're fair, I think would be really fun. And I think some of the choices, like we said, carrying the bags and not talking are kind of really interesting. And then others, not so much. But in terms of other twists, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, if it was only one or at most two salvage and sabotage, make it the good ones, carrying the bags and not being able to talk, being the the, the uh, standouts there. Yeah, and I guess it's another way, too, if you do the salvage, you could even make it a little more powerful and almost have the equivalent of a maybe not a fast forward, because I think some of the issues here was that the salvage didn't really help people as much, but I guess if you made it too powerful, then you're just basically handing first place to someone or like making it like an express pass. Yeah. No express passes, 24 legs or 21 legs. They never, they never really done that, but you know, other twists really to me, I mean, the biggest twists of the season are the stowaways, which I don't think I would do and the salvage and sabotage and having so many non-eliminations. A lot of the other things are mostly just within them having kind of weird tasks and different things like that. I mean, I guess they did do that survivor like challenge, which I think might have potential if done. I don't know. I didn't really like it because it it, it led to an injury, but I do think maybe some sort of the way you design a leg and kind of have something like that. There's some potential with those. And I'm also curious too, with how they, the, they always just kind of start legs with everyone. Basically, instead of doing some weird bunching, They just kind of all start together, which I don't know if that's my favorite thing, but it does lead to a lot of unpredictability with teams going up and down a lot in the standings. I like that. I like it when there are, say, two methods of transport and the first half of the field gets the first method and then the second, like, get the next one, which is 20 minutes behind. As we saw with the boats, the, the last boat to leave group actually you know, got ahead on that. So it's not always a death knell to be 20 minutes behind. I mean, I'm not that fond of bunching, but I know that it's practical in terms of, um, you know, the teams coming back to an even or almost even place. As we mentioned before in the last um, the last recap, in case listeners don't know, you leave in the order that you arrived, but at five or 10 minute intervals, not at the interval behind which you were. So if you come in 20 minutes behind the team ahead of you and the team behind you is half an hour later, you'll still leave at five or 10 minute intervals. They even it up again at the beginning of each leg. And I like that more than uh, say that uh, survivor challenge where it stopped them all in their tracks and then they all waited and then they all left. So I sort of wondered what that was for. Yeah, it was a little strange. I think also to you, I think um, they were just probably worked out with logistics of where they had to be, but it did kind of nullify the beginning. But one other point too, though, that it does eliminate is sometimes you do have cases where let's say two teams, like even we see in this this last leg where you had the intersection where I think Chris and Alicia and the Cowboys were pretty far behind. And if you didn't, if you just had them go by the time they they arrived, that let's assume it was elimination. Let's assume you lost one of them. The other team would have a good chance in a world where there were lots of eliminations in a row. The other team would probably just 
be eliminated next time. And then you have a really boring next leg where the team keeps going, we can catch up, we can catch up. And they never do. We're here. We don't really see that at all. And Phil's saying, who's coming? Who's coming over the hill? And you go, we know who's coming over the hill, not the people who were last. Um, uh, yes, I think, I mean, this is why there there was a little sort of out, mild outrage that they didn't um, serve a penalty, but I don't know what the, there was no point in having a penalty because they came in second to last and last and they were going to leave at five-minute intervals the next day. So I don't mind that kind of practicality and, um, you know, it keeps it, it keeps everyone in the race. I think you've said that a very early uh, race, uh, a team was 24 hours and three continents behind the winners at one point. There's no fun there. Yeah, the season one, there was a team, the Guidos, who were, um, I'm spoiling for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it was a while ago, who were stuck in Alaska. And then season four, you had a team that missed a flight and were still like in Hawaii and such. And they were like, got the clue that it was over. And then you've also had seasons where they had to do some really odd pit stop times where teams were like arriving at the next leg and the other team was on the previous. This was in the all-star season 11, but the amazing race us has gotten much better. But a lot of what they do is they do weird bunchings in the middle of legs, which I don't like at least here. If you're going to bunch them, do it at the beginning. Again, you could say, Oh, well, but every leg is kind of its own thing. And so, and plus here they do so many tasks where I feel like ever this isn't a case where it's just detour roadblock pit stop. You have a lot of chances to flip things around. So it's good. I like it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, um, yes, if you're going to bunch teams, bunch them at the beginning of the leg and then let them run the leg uh, and the time stretch out from there. Cool. So I we have covered what I believe are the big topics, but are there other things we have not covered yet that we want to cover? I the only thing I can think of is predictions, uh, but we've sort of done that. We've sort of predicted how the next legs might go, and n- neither of us are spoiled, so we're just pulling that out of the clear blue sky. Um, and winner predictions, we've sort of said, but I'm ready to to stake my flag. Um, I'm happy with uh, the, the four teams that I've mentioned before. I think that the most likely to win are MJ and Chelsea, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if Ashley and Amanda um, are in fact the winners. I agree. Yeah. And if I had, here's the thing though, it's kind of both ways where I'm rooting for MJ and Chelsea. I would like to see Ashley and Amanda win. I'd be thrilled if the Seeks won. Um, And I wouldn't be upset if other teams won. I just think if I was going to pick the three teams I'm rooting for the most in that order, it'd be one, two, three. Now predictions. I think is a bit different where me, I have a weird feeling Chris and Alicia are going to be in the final three. I think it's going to happen. They've had so much focus on them. I could be wrong. I don't think they're going to win, but I think they're going to be there. And I think that um, it'll probably be a combination of the three that I mentioned, two of those three of Ashley, Amanda, MJ and Chelsea and, and Jaskarat and Anarag in the final three. But so I'm going to say, I'm going to put my cards down and say the final three are MJ and Chelsea. I feel like there's one of the two all-female teams is going to get a heartbreaking fourth-place finish, I feel like. So I'm going to say Jaskarat and Anarag and Chris and Alicia, final three. I'm going to say my heart is with Jaskarat and Anarag, but I feel like they've been fading a little bit from our screens, although their overall placement, I mean, I'm no actuary, but 
is probably the best in terms of, you know, seconds and thirds and fourths. I think it's going to be Ashley and Amanda, MJ and Chelsea. And I think you're right. I think we're going to see Chris and Alicia in that final three. Yeah, I feel the least confident about the third team. I think MJ and Chelsea and Chris and Alicia will be there. The third team, and I would love to see Ashley and Amanda there. I just, um, I don't know why. And also, I will say for people that have listened to drafts of the U.S. Amazing Race and of Canada. I am terrible at predictions. So even I usually do better when I've gotten this far, but I'm really bad at the beginning. So final three Cowboys. Um, just pick the other teams. And that's who we've got. Um, Sky Blue and Jake win, you know, but um, We'll I'd, I'd be happy for any of our final six to win, quite frankly. But I think the Cowboys are the next to go and probably Sky Blue and Jake after that, even though they, they've made a very strong uh, showing. I agree. Of course, the way things are going, that'll be like three weeks from now. When, when the <laughs> team, we them. Okay, well, this has been great, Sarah. I've really enjoyed catching up. I hope we have thoughts, listeners, that I we would like to do another episode after it's over we if you enjoy this please let us know that may encourage us more to do it i would love to recap the final stretch of episodes to see how we did sarah would you be down for that i certainly would and i'd love it if uh, jessica could rejoin us and uh, we can go out strong three and of course uh, she could tell us that her predictions were indeed came true as ours crumbled before our very eyes <laughs> yeah, she is very good at predictions. She's done things where she sealed things in envelopes and she still is right. And she really, she is the expert. And um, I hope we get to talk with her. She just has a really busy schedule right now. It's, yes. She has nothing against Amazing Race Australia more than any of us. It's just, just scheduling. But um, so, Sarah, I know you are doing other exciting things. And of course, people want to follow you on social media. So please let us know where to follow you and what else you are doing. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine. I don't do a lot of tweeting, but I do a lot of commenting, retweeting and amplifying voices. I feel like I I like doing that. Um, If you want to learn how to ocean swim, come and find me at Bondi Beach. I'll take you out. You'll have a good time. Um, Otherwise, uh, yes, the part two of the Bridgerton uh, season one recap that I did with Sasha Joseph, Geneva Guadalupe and Kirsten McInnes has dropped on post-show recaps. It's in the patron feed, but it's been unlocked for others. So you can hear me there as well. You can follow me at the Dan Heaton on Twitter. And I talk sometimes about Amazing Race and a variety of other things, including TV and film and everything else. I also, of course, co-host the Amazing Race Canada podcast. We did not have one last summer. I am keeping my fingers crossed. I think there's a good chance I've not heard anything, but that they will be able to film possibly just in Canada, similar to how Australia did it. I'm going to hope for the best there for the summer. So we will be back doing that. Also, I host a podcast about if you're into theme parks, you, you know, you can travel to Disneyland with, I believe sky blue and Jake won that trip to Disneyland. Now that it's going to open. (laughs) It's an interview show where I talk to a lot of people that uh, Imagineers, other people that have worked behind the scenes, plus people that shoot films or they write books. It's really fun and you can learn more. Search for it at any podcast provider or go to tomorrowsociety.com and you can hear me there every week or two talking to a variety of people, 
including Jessica Lee, who was on last year. So it's really fun. And Sarah. Yes, <laughs> I'm never the host. I think that I'm not the host. I'm used to someone taking charge. Okay, so let me. I'll, so we're I'll, just going to say goodbye. No, I will, <laughs> yeah, I will just say, Sarah, thanks so much for talking with me about Amazing Race Australia. I feel like we could go about an hour on each episode, but I think we did a good job. Thank you so much for talking with me. Goodbye. Goodbye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.